0: The Hype Magazine, one of the, the main guys out there, Percy Crawford. What's going on, man? Uh, how's life in Louisiana?
1: Uh, life is good, man. Life is in Louisiana is kind of like everywhere else. It's a little up and down right now, but uh, we staying safe, man. We staying inside as much as possible, um, you know, following the guidelines, man. Wash your hands, stay clean. If you're out too long, wear a mask. That's pretty much the the theme everywhere right now, so I, I don't think anything separates us.
0: Are you a, a native of Louisiana?
1: Yeah, born and raised, man. Been here my whole life. Like I said, I make forty in July, so I, I've never left. I mean, I've traveled to cover fights and things like that, but I'm I'm planted.
0: All right. Well, the one of the main things that I always wanted to ask somebody from Louisiana is uh Popeye's chicken because that thing is worldwide now. Um, what is your? How do you rate Popeye's chicken? Is that is that something that is authentic?
1: It's top-notch, bro. I'll be honest with you. I've been to Texas, Vegas. I've had it other places. It it tastes nothing like our Popeye's chicken. So I think we have a patent on that thing. Other places are kind of emulating it, but it is not the same. And I was one of the guys that thought, like, there's no way. It's the same recipe. Nah, dude, it's it's completely different when you travel abroad because I had it in Ohio, and I could barely eat it. (laughs) They don't
0: use the spicy
1: things like we do, I guess. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think Popeye's is probably ranked probably the top chicken restaurant in the world, man, like if you really think about it. But like you said, it doesn't taste like Louisiana's authentic chicken. So it's like, it's what, what are we eating?
1: It's an entirely different experience. I just think other people think um, the way we season food, they'll say it's too much. So they, they don't put as much and you can taste it, especially if you're from Louisiana. It's a big difference.
0: Um, you've been covering the sport. Uh, combat sports let's just say in yeah. general for how many years now
1: this is my 19th year Jeez.
0: so yeah let's go back to year one like well who was the first first fighter or first organization that you started covering
1: god the first i actually my first interview man believe it or not my first interview is rampage jackson wow i did an interview at rampage and um that was my first mma interview my first fight interview uh boxing terms god i can't even remember man it's been so long ago but i do know rampage jackson was my first interview how many people can say that i mean that was um that was a crazy situation and that's when rampage was kind of fun i think at some point he kind of started taking it too serious but when i interviewed him man it was like he was really fun and he made my job easy because of course i'm nervous like everybody else i came into this thing as a fan it's like, God, I'm on the phone with Rampage. And he was kind of busting my bones a little bit. And then finally, he was like, dude, lighten up. I'm joking with you. So he made it easy for me. Um, But yeah, man, 19 years ago, Rampage Jackson was my first interview. All
0: right. So was that King of the Cage days or was he at Pride
1: already? He had just made, I want to say he was coming over to the UFC, I think, because that's when it was a big deal. He was kind of out of Japan, so it was kind of easier to get to him. Yeah, I think it was right when he was right in the Marvin Eastman kind of deal is when I interviewed Rampage. So it was pretty cool, and I interviewed Marvin, too. I used to always try to pride myself off getting both sides before the fight. And um, I interviewed Marvin, interviewed Rampage, and um, I actually thought Marvin was going to give Rampage a good little scrap, but uh, we know how it ended, so.
0: Yeah, definitely. Now, going into those interviews... did you have a certain expectation out of these fighters? Because, you know, MMA is completely different from other combat sports.
1: Um, Man, it's crazy because now that I look back, if I look back and i read my old Rampage interview, I was like, God, I was horrible. I mean, I asked on the surface questions. How was training? You know, um, what do you expect from Marvin Eastman? I, I think now, you know, and as I grew, I, I became a little more detailed and did a little more research. Um, I, I still probably was somewhat in too much of a fan mode. I probably should have um, maybe started with a with a lower level fighter. But I mean, I, I can't complain about interviewing Rampage first. But not my expectation was just always kind of thought MMA fighters were real, and to a degree, they they lived up to that. Most of them were pretty real guys on the surface. Guys. Um, some of them was a little bit different in terms of it was early, so. Back then, those guys had lawyers. Like, I remember reaching out to guys, and it was like, yeah, I hit my lawyer up. And I'm like, dude, what? You know, I was used to dealing with publicists and things like that. But, yeah, some of those guys back then had lawyers. So, it was a little bit different getting a whole – like, I see now, man, through social media, you can pretty much get anybody. Back then, you really had to grind to get interviews. So, yeah, getting Rampage was – it wasn't easy, Um, but I was able to get him. He, he kind of met my expectations. He was a laid-back guy. Like I say, he was a little more fun then.
0: Do you think it's easier now to cover the sport than it was back then?
1: Absolutely. Because um God, I don't I don't I'm not even sure they had MySpace back then. So it was all about just if you can get an email on one of these guys and most of the time the email was a publicist or a family friend that kinda handled their business, called themselves a travel agent or whatever. Now, I mean Nine times out of ten, if you have an Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or whatever, you can get some sort of contact on them. So, yeah, it's definitely easier now. And and I I think now um, some of these organizations accept um, not-so-good content. Like, they'll almost accept anything. It was so difficult to get a credential back then to go cover an event, especially UFC Nah, you kind of see anybody get in, man. And it's kind of disheartening a little bit because we put a lot of work in to get in those events. And we were de- denied a few times. Like, you don't do enough traffic. Nope. You know, you haven't interviewed enough guys from the court. Nah, I don't, I don't know what's the criteria. You would have to really be bad not to get credentialed now. So, yeah, definitely a lot easier now than then. From
0: what I know, with the UFC, you know, like it's a little bit harder still for the U- to get credentials for the UFC. But okay. if you're a newspaper or a local publication, I think you can get credentialed for certain events if you if they're coming to your town. But if you're like a uh, I guess uh, a, a, what would you call it? Like a fringe website? They I don't wow. think they'll let you get into the into the into the event because you know, like when you're on the fringe. It, they don't really accept you too much. You want you want they want some big names yeah, out there.
1: Yeah, no one wants to give you that first shot, man. And it was rough back then. And I guess I'm talking more on the boxing term too. Like boxing, I see anyone get in UFC. It probably is a little bit difficult. But like you said, I know they pretty much open the doors for the locals. That makes sense. I get it. You know, you want the local coverage and the guys that's going to be there. But yeah, um, it, it was it was man, it was it was scratching scratching a chalkboard for a while getting an event.
0: Do you, you know, on the flip side, do you feel like right now it's oversaturated, the media?
1: Absolutely, 100%. Um, I was talking to a guy the other day, and I'm not even sure this stat is true, but it wouldn't shock me. He said they have over 50,000 combat sports podcasts and YouTube pages and things like that. Way too much, man. I mean, some of them, like, this is a real show we're doing. You go on some of these shows, and it's, the picture is deceiving, it's obvious clickbait once you click on it and that's probably more prominent than actual good shows because people are trying to cash in. People are looking for a quick, you know, subscription, someone, you know, give them a click and it's just, it's definitely quantity over quality now. And it used to be reversed.
0: Yeah. The, the term clickbait, you didn't have that 19 years no. ago when you first started.
1: No, if you had clickbait, then you wasn't you wasn't getting any attention. I mean, they had a few guys that would try to sneak things on you, but they was they were obscure. Now that's almost the norm. Like you gotta, it's almost like they're competing to see who can put up the most clickbait. And it's things like you know, will Dana White be able to pull off UFC 249 on a private island? Question mark? Question mark? You couldn't get away with that back then. It had to be like solid information. And now, like I said, if they have. Fifty. Even if you cut that in half, they have twenty-five thousand combat sports pages on YouTube. That's probably twenty thousand too many.
0: Yeah, just, yeah, I, I agree with you on the oversaturation of it. And and uh, another big topic in journalism is uh stealing content. You know what I mean? Like yeah. not crediting each other. You, mm-hmm. Yeah, you've dealt with it. Talk about your experiences with that.
1: Man, I, I've dealt with it. I've had some pretty cool guys. I won't even mention them. But um, it's a Pretty prominent MMA website, and they were cool about it. Like, listen, dude, the writer that submitted it didn't give you credit. They they changed it right away. And then you have some websites, man, that just – they don't care. I don't know if they – they don't think they're going to be around long enough to be sued or be hackled or whatever, but they just – they ignore the emails and take it as their own content. I've had guys rip my entire interview, copy and paste it, no link interview. I think it was with BJ Penn or somebody like that I interviewed. Copy and paste the whole interview. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I've dealt with it, man. It, it, and they it got to a point where the way we're talking about clickbait now, that's how um, copyright had got for a long time. And then those websites didn't stick around long, obviously. But, yeah, I've definitely dealt with it.
0: Yeah, you make a good point about websites uh, not sticking around too long. They no. feel like, hey, you know, I don't got no money. I don't, you know, like, let me get these clicks while I can.
1: That's it. I think a lot of them, they thought it was going to be an easy way to get a credential, go cover events for free. And then you get a few denials and it's like, okay, it's not worth my time. You know, so I think that's what happened with a lot of them. They thought it was just an easy way to get into a UFC event, easy way to get into whatever, kickboxing, Bellator. And once they saw it wasn't so easy and you actually have to put in quality work, they bowed out. And that's why I didn't hound them too much. I mean, it sucked because... Some of the people that stole your site, they would go on all these message boards and post as their own. That's what message boards was big time, and um, you know, it take away clicks from what I did, the the work that I put in. But like I said, most times when you do things like that, you you don't last long.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's I don't even know how many websites that even I worked for in the past five or so years that came in. (laughs) Yeah, just they just disappeared. Like even some of the work that I've done, it's gone. Like the website is is this it's gone like i did not know that i didn't even know that like i would i should have saved everything
1: yeah man i i got wise to that because i saw a few people i had a few writers hit me up and they was like dude i wrote for this site and i'm like send me a few of your articles and it was like that's the problem you know the website the domain is basically non-existent so i kind of got hip to that and i started saving things and even if you don't do anything but take a screenshot of it just to whenever you move on just to have proof that that's your work because you're right, man, some of these sites just picked up. And when I say disappeared, they disappeared. And they had some pretty good writers for some of these sites that just kind of relinquished with the site. Like you just never heard from them again. And that was weird to me, but I think that was kind of the phasing out who was going to be around and who wasn't.
0: Now going back to interviewing fighters, who was the first fighter where you interviewed them and you felt like, before they were even a star that you're like, oh, this guy or this girl is going to be huge. And and I'm interviewing them in the beginning stages of their career.
1: I'll tell you someone I interviewed and I don't know if they ever became huge in the MMA sense. But I remember interviewing a young Shayna Baszler and she was so gung ho about WWE. Like she was an MMA fighter. God, I think she was in strike force when I started talking to her. And Josh Barnett, there's a video out there with Josh Barnett thanking me for interviewing Shayna, and you know that was his his girl. I think he trained her. And I was like Shayna, you really don't want to be doing this. You really want to be in the WWE, and she was like, I do, but it's so hard to get in there. Man, I watched WrestleMania with my daughter, and it was it was it was almost I felt like a proud dad watching her because I know I know the grind she put in to get there. So I would say Shayna Baszler, in a sense of dream chasing. That was her dream, man, and she made it. I mean, she made it to the biggest stage. Um, I was the first, and we always talk about this, I was Daniel Cormier's first interview. Oh, man. Um, King Mo, who was like a brother to me, he was like, man, they got this guy, you got to interview him, he's from Louisiana, like you, think y'all will get along great, he just signed a strike for us. I'm like, okay, who is he? He was like, dude, he's an Olympic wrestler, his name's Daniel Cormier. So I was his first interview crazy story is we played each other in high school football and didn't even know it till like a couple <laughs> years ago <laughs> he went to Northside, i went to salmon and we met in the playoffs and of course we beat the snot out of him but uh, yeah that's a brother of mine too man daniel cormier he's definitely one i remember i was his very first interview in the mma sense i'm sure he did a ton when he was in the olympics and uh shana basler those are two that stick out to me
0: yeah definitely uh shana baszler you could you could tell from early like even i think on the ultimate fighter when she was on that show you could tell that she was going to be something whatever she does she could promote herself very well uh and of course dc come on a legend of the sport you know if you go back to the strike force days before the ufc i think a lot of people don't remember that where you won the heavyweight tournament
1: yes i interviewed dc before you'll have to help me with this one what was Strike Force's little like up and coming fighter series? What did they call Challenger. it? Challenger. Challenger. The Strike Force Challenger series. I interviewed him probably a month before his first Challenger series fight. So yeah, I go way back with DC. He's a great guy, family friend. Um, same with King Mo, guys like that. But um, Shayna sticks out to me as well because even the whole Queen of Spades bitch he did. I was like Shayna, this is a wrestling. Day. And she was like, I know, person. Like I'm trying to get in. And the way she went about it, kudos to her, man. It wasn't easy for her, and she made it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Strike Force, man, there's so many guys that come from that promotion that are gigantic right now. Uh, yes. You know, DC, Luke Rockhold, uh, King Mo. Can you know, King Mo, even Ronda though he's retired, he was big, yeah. man.
1: Absolutely. Ronda Rousey started there. A lot of people forget that. Ronda Rousey started with Strike Force.
0: You know, Misha Tate. Uh, yes cyborg just just the list is so long we could just talk about it all day you know like when you were covering them when you were covering strike force it was did you get that feeling like these guys when they when they was bought up by uh the ufc did you get the feeling like okay they're gonna go over there and they're gonna dominate like they did
1: they definitely had a few people that i had in mind uh robbie lawler he was a guy that i knew would have success over there Luke Rockall was another guy that I knew would have success over there. I thought Ronda would be pretty. She would fare well. Even though I kind of thought she was a one-trick pony, she had a hell of a trick. It worked for her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they had a couple guys, man. I always, you kind of thought, you know who I thought would actually be okay? And I don't even know what happened to him now that I'm thinking about it. Brett Rogers. I thought oh, Brett Rogers um... was beating Fedor, and I thought he would yeah. go to the UFC, and I don't know what happened to him. He just kind of fell off, but he was another guy I used to interview a lot. Real down-to-earth guy. I want to say he was working at like a tire shop when he was fighting in Strike Force and we used to talk about things like that, but he kinda disappeared. But no, Strike Force had some hell of a athletes day. I always thought I would see King Mo in the UFC and he just never transitioned over there. I think, you know, he kind of was another guy I wanted to not be locked in. So he was able to do Bellator and some pro wrestling as well. So I you know, I get why he didn't go over there.
0: King Mo, I look at him as like uh like a money weight fighter. Like he's yes. a guy, he 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 knows that he's a prize fighter. Like you gotta pay, if you don't yes. pay, if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense for him. And that and he went sense. over to Japan and fought, won the tournament over there. He was he hold he held the strike for his title. He's he's done pretty much everything outside the UFC.
1: Yeah, and I think people forget the short window he did it in. I mean, King Mo was, was another Olympic level wrestler, and kind of jumped into MMA, started off really hot. As the competition got better, he improved as a fighter, and um, he did all of that kind of much like DC in probably a five year span. You know, that's a he, he has a lot of accomplishments for a guy like that. And honestly, the money weight thing might have hurt him. I mean, he probably would admit that now. Like he took some fights where I was like, Mo, are you sure? And he was like, yeah, I'm a moneyweight fighter. So I, I respect that, man, because we have so many fighters now that, you know, they lean on the business. They lean on, well, if he was in this promotion, Mo was like, hey, you pay me. I travel. I fight anybody. So that's kind of a lost art. I think Nick Diaz was kind of like that guy, too. And uh, we just don't have a lot of that. So props to Mo for that.
0: Yeah, I, I miss I miss that. That's, the, I think yeah. that era is over. Like BJ Penn, Nick Diaz. King Mo guys that were just moving up different weight classes. Yeah, it's, it's over with, man. It kind of sucks to say that right now because I loved like I fighters like that.
1: Even, even when Bellator kind of went away from the tournament format, you can kind of feel it leaving. That's, mm-hmm. that was kind of the last of it. You know, guys jumping around and doing things that you may consider crazy, but if they pull it off, they're genius. Um, I agree with you. I think those days are over. I think fighting now all around the board is so much of a business that, you know, these guys are making business decisions now and not so much taking risks.
0: Yeah, good and yeah. bad. You know, I mean, these yeah. fighters, they need to make money in that short That's window cool. that they have because fighting is probably the shortest window, com- maybe even shorter than the um what NFL, right? Well,
1: have, well, do you think NFL is shorter? I think it depends on the position. Um, yeah. Running backs seem to be very short now. I mean, yeah. they have guys that are 28 years old retiring. Very few Adrian Peterson-type guys out there. But in the fight game at the high level, probably shorter because, yeah. I mean, we just talked about Brett Rogers. This guy was fighting Fedor in Chicago, headlining the court, he lose, and I honestly don't know what happened to him. I honestly don't know what happened to him. Yeah. Um, Jeff Monson. Jeff Monson was fighting in the yeah. UFC for the heavyweight title. he lose, and what happened to him? Like, these guys just fall off the face of the earth. So I think more so in fighting than in football because you'll see them surface as a commentator, things like that. I just named two guys who I couldn't tell you what happened to them. And they were at the highest level at one point. I mean, we're seeing kind of what Andre Alowski's going through. One point he was talked about as the most feared man in the UFC. Now he was on, I think, his last fight. He was the first fight out on the prelims.
0: Well, that just shows that you've been through many generations of uh of the of the sport. You know, what I mean, when you see Arlovsky going from a champion to a guy that's in the prelims. But he's still getting paid, though. Like, I think
1: he's getting really pe- paid good money. Absolutely. And the, the good thing about the UFC heavyweight division, I always think you're one or two wins away from being right back in the mix. <laughs> I mean, if Woloski can string together a couple of wins, we're back talking about him fighting Stipe. You know, mm-hmm. it's crazy like that. Other divisions, not so much. But the UFC always seem to be searching for heavyweight. So, you know, uh, and props to Andre Olosky. He's another guy who I interviewed God, man, I would probably say in 2007. We're in 2020, and not only is he you know, still around, he, he's a viable guy. I mean, I think he won two in a row. He dropped one. But to me, Orlowski the fights he loses are to guys he's supposed to lose to. If you go in there with a 50-50 fight, Orlowski can pull it off.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a lot of fighters that, uh, that, you know, their careers went longer than you expected. But who was a fighter that you expected to go longer or, or elevate higher in their career, but just never panned out?
1: Um, a fighter who I thought would... You know who kind of faded out to me? And I guess they reached the highest level. They were a, a world champion. It, it was always strange to me the way Rich Franklin went out. Like yeah. No fanfare, just kind of fought a few catchweight fights with Vandelay and some guys, and that was it. Um, I always thought his ending would be better, I guess. I I, I wouldn't say he was someone who I thought would be better, because he was a world champion, but I thought his ending would end differently. So definitely Rich Franklin. I'm trying to think of a guy who I thought would be better, and it just it just didn't pan out for him. Um, I hate to say it because he's my boy, I man. I thought Rashad Evans. I thought his career would go a little differently as well. He um, once you see guys go from you know 205 to 185, and then Hennett going at 170. That, that's dangerous. Joe Daddy Stevenson is another guy who I thought the world of at one point. And um, I think the BJ Penn fight really ruined him. Um, I, I was very high on Joe Daddy. So I guess that would be it. Kind of, I guess, tough alumni guys. Some of the guys that left tough who you thought would, you know, really, and Rashad won the title. I just thought he would sit up there a little longer than he did. No defense. He lost his, you know, the next fight to Machida. No shame in that. But I, I just thought his athleticism would take him a little farther.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's so many guys that you expected longer title runs from, but it just yeah. like it just didn't happen. And, and you know, this sport is rough. You don't know. You don't know what is going on in their camps and, and what kind of injuries that they're facing. And, and, you know, you know, by talking to the fighters and interviewing them, there's stuff that they tell you that you can't print. But, you yes. know, stuff, right?
1: <laughs> yes. I always tell people, man. I've had more off the record conversations than on the record conversations, And that's how you gain trust. You know, if you, if you slip something out, it, it, you know, you probably lost that fighter. So I always keep it to the vest. Um, I, I just off the top of my head. I'm thinking, what happened to Sean Shirk? Remember Sean Shirk? He was yeah. like the guy fighting BJ Penn and just some of these guys just fade to you know, who knows where, man. But, um, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. There's been a lot of off-the-record conversation. I've talked to guys who I know was injured going in the fights, but it's like, dude, I haven't fought in four months. I got to make this check. You know, what am I going to do? So, yeah, outside of a cut, a lot of fighters fight injured. A lot yeah, of. The,
0: the, yeah. Like, your journalism, you know, covering the sport, I think that's probably the most yeah. important thing that you need is Trust. to build those relationships with the fighters. Yeah. Like, because... I, from my experience, fighters will link you up with other fighters. And, oh, absolutely. And that network can go far. That arm can reach long.
1: Yes. I I built a pretty good relationship with John Hackleman. He put me on the phone with Chuck Liddell. Chuck Liddell put me on the phone with Court uh, McGee. Um, You know, and it's just a running thing of, hey, I'm training with so-and-so today. You want to interview him? So, yeah, it's, it's about building relationships. It's about gaining trust through these guys because uh, – you know, a lot of these fighters have been burned, man, like through the media. And I think that's another issue with the media now is that you can post a YouTube video where you didn't have to talk to that fighter. But if you cover him in a crappy manner, what what's the end goal to it? You know, you're never going to have a relationship with him. You're never going to be able to talk to him. And you see that more and more. I've seen fighters point out and say, "Him, hey, hey, he got to go. He can't be in here. He said this about me. I, I just don't get the end goal to that. Is that click worth sabotaging that relationship for the duration of your career and maybe that's the thing maybe these guys don't plan on being around long so they are rather just do you know got you kind of articles and things like that but you I, i'm i'm about building relationships man that's how you last long
0: yeah i guess there's different angles that journalists can take you could be an analyst analyst you don't interview fighters you just cover them so you you're you can be more loose with your interpretations of what they do and and how they handle things, and then you got guys that interview fighters where you don't give your opinion too much because it's not what your job is. Your job is not to give your opinion all the time, right? So yeah,
1: I never want the right opinionated pieces. I always want to get it straight from the horse's mouth. I feel like that's more organic. Um, it, it's to me, I just want to provide a platform for the fighters and me putting my spin on it or my opinion on it. That's not the fighter's platform that's my platform so now i'm with you i've always been the guy that wanted to get it from the fighter even if it was and this was back when texan first became like popular they would text me like hey man put this out and it would be a paragraph and i'm like okay and i would still put out as their word without you know putting too much of percy crawford's opinion in it so yeah it's to me that's the best way to to build relationships um but like you said everybody have a different angle and if you're coming from an angle of Wanting to become popular, probably best to put your opinion on things. That just was never my angle.
0: Some other topics in MMA media, and I, I think it's just across the board in combat sports media, where there's this thing where, like, promotions, what they'll do is they'll reach out to journalists or maybe even the websites and, and say, hey, cover, go, come cover our sport. and uh, And we'll cover your flight. We'll cover your hotels. Like... What is your view on that? Because everybody's pointing fingers at each other nowadays. Like, you see guys online like, oh, this... Because, you know, there's so many journalists. Like you said, it's oversaturated. So they're like, hey, this guy, he... But they don't really have proof on it. But it seems like it's happening.
1: Yeah, I think it's happening. I was never that fortunate. But I think it happened. (laughs) I think, you know, if you can do that and be still unbiased, I don't see anything wrong with it. The problem is... Obviously, for promoters doing all that for you, they want you to write nothing but great fluff pieces. Some people, that's that's okay with them. That's just not my thing. So, in other words, if I have to say Demetrius Johnson all of a sudden sucks because he left the UFC because the UFC is paying my way, what am I doing? What favors am I doing myself? You know, I've sold my soul. And obviously, Demetrius Johnson will never speak to me. And you just never know how these guys' careers going to end. Um, look at the guy who was, God, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, blind, good-looking kid, Sage uh, Northcutt. He was the guy everyone wanted to talk to. He goes to Japan. He gets knocked out. And, you know, it's like, but look how many guys were writing so many biased articles on how he's the next GSP. And it's like, did your eyes really tell you that, or do you just think you're kind of going to be early on him? And it just didn't pan out. And it's not to say he can't, you know, get his career back together. It's just no one saw it ending like this. So you got to be careful. I, I've seen a lot of writers be dismissive of people who blew up and became great fighters.
0: Do you, do you see a lot of disrespect amongst journalists, even like at events? Not from afar, but at events.
1: Yeah, definitely, man. It's um, it's it's become a dog eat dog world almost. Like I remember sitting at events and becoming cool with guys. You know, the MMA junkie guys. They were, God, what were they named? They were. Tap radio or something radio, what, long before MMA Junkie purchased them, and um, we we sat next to them at an event and became cool with them. Nowadays, that's it's like a big competition, man, and competition for what you know. We all trying to sport in the best light we possibly can. We all, you know, covering what we love to do, cover a sport that we love. It's not that serious, you know, but a lot of guys they'll get in there and it's like. You see them jockeying him for a position to be right in front of the stage, and it's not that serious to me.
0: Who are some of the the journalists that you like to, you know, read their articles or or even just like watch their shows or anybody in in that in the MMA media that you like?
1: No, it's so crazy, man. So I, I don't read anyone else's um, articles, and it's not because I'm hating on them. I don't like them. I don't want to pattern my style off of anyone else's, so I feel like if I start reading the articles, I'll do that. So I literally don't. I, I avoid it at all costs. Every now and again someone will send me an article that's good, and I won't even read the writer's name, just so I won't start reading all of his stuff. And I, I just it's, Maybe it's a mental thing with me, but I never want to fall into my line of questioning and sound like someone else's. So I truly avoid reading. I'll listen to some guys, like I listen to the MMA Junkie guys, but in terms of just reading an author or a journalist, I, I avoid it.
0: Yeah, I, I I also do the same. You know, I rarely watch anything. It's just, do you feel like if you do do, do watch or, or read people's articles, it kind of alters your opinion about
1: certain subjects? Well, I think it, it's, it's kind of like you were saying, you said earlier when you said when you were into hip-hop. I'm sure the reason you're not as into it, because it all sounds the same. I always felt like that's what it would be. If we all just read each other articles, our line of questioning would all sound the same. So I, I just avoided to, I guess, prevent me watering myself down. Whatever my line of questioning is, whether you love it, hate it, it's my line of questioning. Um, if I was to read 10 people's things consistently, I think I would start asking my questions like them or, I don't know, I just don't want that cross-contamination, I guess you would call it.
0: There's a lot of uh, guys that I know that are coming up in MMA media right now. They're just starting out. And if you could give them advice, you've been doing this 19 plus years. Like, what would you tell them? You know, because starting 19 years ago and starting now is completely different. There's a lot of advantages to starting now, right? Because the access is much higher.
1: Yeah, I think if I I can give anybody advice, and I think this holds true when I started 19 years ago to present um be yourself be genuine and focus on building relationships with the athletes a lot of these newcomers want to jump on the promoter's train you want to be best friends with you know Dana White Scott Coker if you go to boxing Eddie Hearn Bob Arum that's great to build those relationships but at the end of the day we're providing a platform for the fighters these promoters will be around forever we've seen it Bob Arum has been around boxing for um you know dana white has been around the ufc forever fighters come and go give them the biggest platform you can give them while they're around so that that would be my advice is just make make it about the fighters make it about the athletes and you know if if you can get a dana white interview i interviewed dana white's white once cool guy let that be the bonus let that be the bonus let this be about the fighters so build relationships um, try not to burn bridges and, and don't stab anyone in the back. That's the main thing, because I've seen that come back and haunt some people.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely haunting a lot of people out there. Uh, outside of uh, combat sports, you've interviewed, you know, many people like I, I noticed one one article you did with uh, with Tommy Chong and uh, outside of the combat sports, like who are some of the memorable guys or girls uh, that you've interviewed?
1: Um, Tommy Chong was definitely one. He was an interesting interview. Obviously, uh, we know his angle. He's a smoker. Um, but I like, I like interviewing guys like that because, I mean, Cheech and Chong came out in, what, the 70s. It's amazing that he still thinks the same in 2020. So to me, that's props because it's like he didn't let someone change his mind. He's all about legalizing marijuana still. He's all about marijuana is more healthier for you than prescription drugs. And you know, he sticks to his gun. So Tommy Chung is definitely one. Jeez, man. Bone Thugs and Harmony, I interviewed two members for Bone Thugs and Harmony. Um, I interviewed Busy and Lazy. And I grew up on that stuff. So, yeah. you know, of course, yeah. that was a bug out for me. Um, Just a lot of people, man, who I kind of grew up idolizing, I guess you could say. Or, or at least they got me through a particular point in my life. Like Bone Thugs, that was my high school years. Yeah. You know, they made, so that, that was, you know, that was the thing back then. So it's cool interviewing those guys, and, and Tommy Chong, who, God, that was, you know, my mom and dad watched them. Um, just to kind of pick their brain and see how they feel now. He's still healthy, still in good shape. So, yeah, I've interviewed, man, a lot of entertainers, a lot of musicians. Um, uh, Another interesting one was for me was um girl who played Thelma on the show Good Times. Uh, Bernadette Stannis she was a real you know she's a trailblazer you know the first African-American female teenager to be on network television so that was pretty cool so just interviews like that man kind of reaching back to my childhood and interviewing some people that made my childhood and my teen years what it was.
0: Do you think it's a I don't know you could say mistake for journalists but do you think journalists should start like reaching out to not just if you're covering sport uh fighting it's good but you should reach out to other you know like actors like you've been doing you know actors musicians should you be doing that and just start writing about all different topics
1: if you're comfortable doing that i think uh you know some people always use the term stay in your lane i didn't want my lane to be a one-way street i wanted my lane i felt like i always feel like If you give me 30 minutes to prepare, I can interview anybody. That's my motto. That may not be the guy that's covered combat sports only for 10, 15 years' motto. So if you feel comfortable, I'll give you an example. So when you go to these UFC events, you'll see some celebrities there, Shaq and people like that. If you feel like you can interview Shaq, don't not interview Shaq because you feel like you're a combat guy. Approach him try to interview him or try to set up an interview with him and just see, spread your wings out. It may be for you. It may not be for you, but there's only one way to find out. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. I started feeling pigeonholed a little bit. Like it's only so many ways and words you can ask fighters about training camp, about the upcoming events, you know, previous fights, later fights. So I had to step outside that because it was kind of getting boring to me. And I didn't want that. I didn't want to get bored because I like talking with people. I like, picking brains and things like that. So it started off with me interviewing a guy that was a combat sports fan, but he was a rapper. And it was a different angle for me. I thought the interview went well. He thought it went well. And that's what got me into wanting to start talking to other people. So if it's in your lane, if you feel like you can hold a decent conversation with anybody, give it a shot, man. You don't have to pigeonhole yourself to just fighting because that's your niche. You know, step outside your comfort zone a little bit. You'll be surprised. You might be better than you expect.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's uh Yeah, I just started like reaching out to uh the boxers like I want to get more boxers on the show and and actually I do want to interview actors and and whoever, you know what I mean? Like even yourself, you know. Usually I don't interview other journalists, but I was like, "Oh, I got to take this opportunity, you know. Percy's appreciate done so you. much, you know, in the past and it's just like I could ask you anything and you'll have an answer for it." That's what's great about this
1: no definitely man and that's the that's the beauty of of, you know spreading your wings like you know eventually it gets to the point where i'll do a podcast and it's like before we get into fighting let's talk about this i love that because Mm. you know it, it gets a little mundane to just fight this fight that when you think fighting's gonna come back i've interviewed comedians i've interviewed you know actors actresses you know musicians you name it and i've probably at least had one conversation with somebody in that genre
0: I want to talk about hip hop, man, because you and me we're about the same age, so we we could yeah. go all day. Like the '90s, I you know I recently tweeted something about the '90s, and I was like '90s hip hop rap music. I think that's when it was really rap music. You know what I mean? Like the the eras that at that time, like like what what do you remember from like the early '90s? Like what was your first is was your first taste of hip hop? What was it? Who was the who was your first?
1: The first album i ever purchased was easy um easy It album so i got exposed to the streets right away (laughs) (laughs) easy was not talking about selling girl scout cookies so um (laughs) that was my exposure to the streets and then obviously that fell into the where did easy come from okay this group named nwa so i got into nwa and then it kind of just progressed from there with you know bone thugs and homie obviously all the local new orleans flavor i loved it um yeah, and then, of course, the whole East Coast, West Coast thing where Tupac came out and, you know, did his thing. But I'm a big daddy, Kane, Eric B. Rock, him, you name it, man. I was on... See, it's, it's different for me now because I'm real selective. It's like, okay, Kendrick got some good stuff, this guy. But so much of it sounds the same. Like, my son is always naming these new guys. I'm like, dude, I've never heard of that, dude. Back then, I don't think it was like that. I don't think I could name someone in the 90s and you not heard a song from them, even if you weren't. Super familiar with him, You'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, Regulators, Warren G. Yeah. You know, yeah. now it's like, man, I can't even listen to the radio. It, it's so much. I, I don't want to down it too much because I get that these guys are hustling, man, trying to do that thing, but it, it's just not my thing. It's not for me.
0: The beats are hard. Like, you can't deny it. The beats yeah. nowadays are hard. It's just as, you know, it's different from, you know, the 90s or the 80s or whatever, but the beats are hard. But the thing is, like you it's the rappers. The rappers they're the same. It's like, there's no region anymore. Remember back then there was like regional rap. Like there was the, the down South, but down South, it was split. you got the, like the Atlanta, you got Florida, then you got Louisiana rappers and Texas. And then you got like the West coast.
1: You heard them. What region they were from. Now it's just one big, big melting pot, man, where I'll listen to a guy and they'll say like, Oh, he's from Chicago. And I'll be like, that dude's from, sounds (laughs) like that sounds nothing like comment or Kanye and I'm not saying you gotta stick to that format, but it's it's all meshed in together where the mumble rap meets the trap rap and I'm just but I agree with you. producers right now they are on fire man
0: yeah the rappers it's like you don't know if the guy is from like uh he could be from Moscow and he could sound just like a dude from from l a it's absolutely it's, you can't you, you can't tell it's He's, it's just almost like they're just imitating each other, right? But now, if you talk about Chicago, like like Do or Die, I don't know if a lot of people know about nah. Do or Die, but Do sure. or Die, like of course Bone Bone Thugs, you know, in that Midwest, Bone Thugs was like one of my favorites of all time. Uh, mm-hmm. Their what was their first al- album? East ninety nine is that was that 99. their first album?
1: Well, the first one was creeping on the come up. With,
0: oh yeah, um, creeping out to come up. I think that's that's like it, one of the I best did. group yes. albums of all time, right there. Just all songs are hits.
1: You know, when I interviewed them, and you think about this, I said, "What other group has did collaborations with Tupac, Biggie, mm-hmm. and Phil Collins?" <laughs> like that's insane, man. Like Bone was. Uh, you see why they were, you know, multi Grammy winners, multi Grammy nominations because they really pushed the envelope and. I hate when people say they did mumble rap. They did not do mumble rap. Yeah. They kind of expanded on what Twister was doing.
0: Yeah. Oh, so completely
1: yeah. different. I know that was an argument a couple years back. Was that well, Bone was mumble rap. No, it wasn't. Not at all. Not even close.
0: Yeah, Twister. Um do or die they're all together you know what i mean like do or die one of my favorite groups of all time too uh that's that pimp like that pimp uh
1: yeah it's man. i don't know how
0: would you call it. that like chicago pimp rap i don't know it's just oh,
1: pimp rap. like they call it. that was the early rap a lot Jay prince days man i love yeah. doing
0: that yeah 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 it's just man when you think about it like when you you you're covering hip-hop you know for all hip-hop now when when was that what years was that
1: That was just last year. That was early last year. That was probably from, I would say, January to April. And then I kind of 100% kind of went to Hype Magazine because they, you know, made it known that I didn't have to stray away from the hip-hop, like they say, from the Hollywood to Hollywood. So I literally can interview anyone from, you know, any genre, and it's okay with the Hype Magazine. So that that made my decision easier because I always said I never want to throw away any contacts. You know, if I can still interview fighters, basketball players, football, you name. It. I just interviewed you tonight. Um, Just signed a lucrative deal with the New York Giants, cornerback. Played three years with the Carolina Panthers, cornerback named James Bradbury. And he was a top free agent, signed with the New York Giants. It's it, sky's the limit, man. And that's what I say. If you feel like you can do it, don't limit yourself.
0: Yeah, you're, you're kind of at the point where, like, I want to eventually be at is to be at one place, one outlet, and just interview and and podcast and and just anybody though but you know it's not just about fighting it could be about any kind of sports or whatever it's just uh being free with it and you are free to do what you want to do with the hype magazine
1: it's great man i'll, I'll give you an example my family went on a cruise a seven-day cruise and it was all over and they had a comedian spike davis on the cruise and they called my kids called man you got to interview this guy he's so funny if I was stuck in a fight website, if I was stuck in a hip hop only, that interview wouldn't have made sense. By me being with this outlet, it made sense. I reached out to him, he hit me right back, and I ended up interviewing him. So just cool little stories like that, man, to where I don't feel like, oh, that would be a cool interview, but I work for a fight website, you know, so it wouldn't make sense. Um, it just made all the sense in the world to, to go this route for the, the way I wanted to go, because much like you're saying, I started feeling like, okay, what fighter now that I can interview that I would even get up for? Because a lot of these guys, like the Vandalay Silvers, they're not into doing interviews. And that that would be my only push now is to interview some of the legends. Because just much like we are talking about the hip-hop game, the fight game is kind of watered down a little bit. Not watered down in the sense that these guys can't fight. Just watered down in the sense of, we see more fighting on Twitter than in actual cage, or an actual ring. You know, you see these guys go back and forth on Twitter, and it's like, dude, y'all, y'all in the same organization. Sign a contract, and then nothing happens. So, you know, it's it's good to spread your wings, man. Just because the entertainment world is never stale. There's always something going on. The music world, there's always something going on. If it's not rap, it's R and B. If it's not R and B, you know, it's another genre. So, uh, you know, uh, this this is where. I wanna be at and it sounds like it's where you want to be at.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like it's it's about taking one path and going on to another path, right? It's just there's paths in this mountain of media that you're gonna go through and and it's just starting. Like right now, with this uh like lockdown and all these things, like isolation and going on. I think this is the best time if you're stuck in one path, it's just hop on another path because fighting is there's no event. So, you know, you could write about stuff but there's nothing going on so maybe you should write about something else maybe you know hop on and uh like of course you're interested in many different things it's not like you're just interested in in fighting only which I that, that would be kind of weird right if you're only interested in fighting that's your whole life
1: yeah no listen especially now like you say we're all binge watching something on Netflix we're all you know we're watching more than just fighting because fighting's not available so why not branch out you know you you have this main road that you got on and that's fighting but you can create so many other avenues just off of fighting. I've interviewed actors that say, "Send me an interview you did," and I'll send them one of my fight interviews, and they'd be like, "Oh shit, you interviewed Chuck Liddell. I love Chuck Liddell." Mm-hmm. So you know that it wasn't like, "Oh, you only interview fighters. I don't want to talk to you." They just want to see pretty much your setup, your format, and if they they approve of it, it's nothing to get a lot of these people on the phone, man. It's it's a lot easier than I thought it would be. I remember when I first was like, you know what? I'm branching outside of fighting. Dude, for the first two weeks, I emailed probably 50 people. I may have heard back from two. And I was like, uh-oh, what did I get myself into? And then it just started flowing. And now, not bragging, but I can hardly keep up with, you know, publicists hitting me up for requests with musicians and actors. and actors. So it's it's, it's it's no different than the fight game. I started off with three numbers in my phone fighters. You know, I, I, believe it or not, I think it was... Randy Couture, Rampage Jackson, and then somebody like Cole Miller or somebody. Like, just mm. an odd threesome to have in my phone. And it, it, I just built on that. I built on that. Well, I'm using the same format. I'm using the same format of it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And it takes time to build that catalog. But once you do it, you, you'll you be oversaturated with the requests. And, hey, can we come on? And, you know, that's where you want to get.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much, man. Uh, appreciate the time. the And be safe, man. And uh, hopefully, you know, we see more and more and more, you know, from you and expanding and and growing. And that's all that's all it's about. And uh,
1: I appreciate you, man. I'm watching you now, man. I'm keeping eyes on you, bro. So keep doing your thing, man.